Several years ago, <clears throat> I had a uh, lawn care business. I owned a lawn care business. It's been a long time. And uh, so I had a few people that would work for me periodically, students and stuff. And uh, one day, we, uh, there was a new guy that I had hired, and so he came to work for us. And so uh, I would pay, if you wanted to ride on the lawnmower, I would pay you less than if you wanted to weedy. You know, I had this thing figured out. And so I would have uh, riders that I would pay to mow, and then I would have people that I would pay to weedy. And, you know, the more workers you have, you know, more mowers at work, the faster you go. I know some of you have uh, a business, so you're very familiar with that. And uh, so the very first day this person came to work for me, uh, my brothers were with me that day, and so they were working, and they, one of them decided he wanted to mow, and one of them decided he wanted to weed eat, and I said, all right, well, you know, here's, here's what we're going to do. Well, the, the new guy said, well, I, I want to mow, and I said, all right, well, great, and so he gets on the mower, and uh, he starts going, and he makes a pass about from me to the middle of the two, uh, you know, east and uh, the main sanctuary here, and the mower stopped working. So I go over there, and I think, what, what in the world? You, you just you sit on it, and you go straight. It's not that difficult. And he had done something to the engine. I still, to this day, have no idea what he did, uh, but, or to the transmission of it. As he was going, he tried to do one of those quick turnarounds. It was, this was back you know, when it had the stick shifter. And he completely stripped the transmission out uh, on the mower on his first turn within like three minutes. You know, right, you, you give somebody something, you say, hey, go take care of this. It's not that difficult. And then they break it. Another time I was working, and uh, it was a big, big yard that we were, we were cutting. And so uh, I was over weed eating, and uh, they were over mowing. And so it's never a good idea. If you ever own a lawn care business and you tap the boss on the shoulder, you know as the boss, right, something is wrong. Why are you talking to me? You should be working, right? And so... Uh, sure enough, I'm weedy, and I get a tap on the shoulder, and I knew, what in the world have you done now? And so I turn around, and they are like, hey, um, the, the mower over here is messed up. So I walk out into the field and, uh, to see the mower, and, and the front two tires are going opposite directions. How do you do that, right? How do you? <laughs> I couldn't do it if I tried to disassemble it, right? But, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I was like, I don't even know what to say to you right now. You know, it's just, you were just supposed to mow. It's, it's not that hard. It was, we get to 2 Corinthians this morning, I, I feel like Paul had that sense, right, of I just put you on the mower and just told you to go straight. It, it's not that difficult. But you've made it so difficult and, and you've got all these outside uh, things that are affecting you. And, and so what happened in Corinth, and so we went through 1 Corinthians. Well, now we get to 2 Corinthians, and there's been a little bit of, uh, you know, there's been several things that have happened in between. And so as we get into 2 Corinthians, we'll continue to learn that between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, there were some people who began to infiltrate the church. Now, Corinth was a thriving metropolis at the time. I, I believe about 80,000 people they believed to be in the city of Corinth at this time. And uh, <clears throat> so this was a place that everybody wanted to be. Now, when there is a place everybody wants to be, so brings a variety of different people and ideologies. And so there were people that began to infiltrate the church that didn't actually believe the gospel. They didn't believe the things that Paul stood for. They didn't believe the way that Paul had planted the church. And so uh, there is, and we'll get to it, uh, an in-between letter where Paul wrote to them and said, you guys got to figure this out. 
And so here's this church that is supposed to be bustling with people that, you know, God has done a miraculous work in their life, and yet they began to suffer for the things in which they believe. And so these people began to come into the church and they say, hey, well, are you sure that the gospel is a gospel of suffering, right? Are you sure that bad things can actually happen to Christians? I mean, I thought you followed Jesus. Isn't, shouldn't all good things happen for people who follow Jesus? It sounds a little familiar to our culture today, right? The prosperity gospel or the name it and claim it to where we would hear people say, hey, um, if you follow Jesus, your life is going to be simple and amazing and problem-free. To which all of us that follow Jesus would say, not true, right? But the question that the world wrestles with, and I think oftentimes even believers wrestle with, is this. Why do bad things happen? Right? Why do uh, tires on an axle go opposite directions? Right? Why do, why do we get phone calls in the middle of, of the night that uh, something bad has happened, that family members have passed away, or we get, you know, all, uh, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Someone comes in uh, and says, hey, after 30 years of working here, you have five minutes to gather your things and to leave the job site. I mean, we, we have things that happen to us in our lives all of the time, and yet we would ask the question as the world would look from the outside and say, well, why? Why do bad things happen? Why does God allow these things to happen in our life? Why does God allow things to derail us, to discourage us? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't it make more sense if, say, that only good things happen to believers and only bad things happen to people that weren't believers? That's what human logic would say, right? Because then what would happen? It would be, number one, it would be very easy to discern between believers and non-believers because you have people who are following Jesus, only good things happen. Oh, something bad happened to you in your life, you must not be following Jesus. But then the flip side of that is, would it be genuine to follow Jesus if only good things happen to those who follow Jesus? You see, these questions that we have that we're asked, and maybe we even ask ourselves, is suffering a part of the plan? Or is punishment something that we receive as a suffering, that we suffer because we're being punished? And so the church at Corinth is really struggling with this idea. They're wondering, like oftentimes I think some people wonder, is the struggle to be faithful to Jesus normal? That when bad things happen, when difficulties arise, when we have troubles, as Paul mentions nine times in the first part of 2 Corinthians here, when we have trouble in our life, what does that mean? Is this struggle normal? And so as we get into our text this morning, the first thing and the basis of our conversation today will be this as we explore the first part of 2 Corinthians. Your most difficult moments can be your most defining moments. Your most difficult moments can be your most defining moments. If you think back in your life over the most difficult times that you've had in your life, those have been the most defining moments in your life. Moments to where you struggled beyond uh, expectation, maybe you struggled beyond ability. Things that happened that completely changed the way you see things or the way that you experience things or the way that you think about things or the way that you believe things. When those moments happen in your life, those become the defining moments of your life. 
And so for us, as we think about things that happen in our everyday lives, every one of us uh, experience difficulties. Every one of us have troubles and, and things that happen in our life. None of us are immune from those things. Following Jesus is not an exemption from problems. And so as Paul is talking to this church at Corinth, they're asking these questions about, well, why are all these troubles happening to us? Some of you, many of you know the story, you know, uh, several years, there's many defining moments as I thought about, you know, what, what, is a, what is an example of that in my own life? Well, there's many examples of moments in my life to where things have been extremely difficult. And I can look back and say, you know what, that was a change in my life. That was a defining moment in my life. I thought back to uh, <clears throat> early 2000s when uh, we were expecting our first child, and then uh, we, the child didn't make it. And so, you know, we remembered experiencing that difficulty. And I, as I was preparing for the message, I was thinking about, well, what, what happened after that? And God reminded me of how things really changed in my life from that moment. That there were so many things that I learned from that and that God taught me in that moment, but that they changed. There was a life change for me after that. It was a defining moment. I, I thought back to uh, when we moved away to Virginia and we were gone from family and friends and we really, really struggled. I've shared that story many times. And that was a very defining moment in my life. I remember moving back and trying to figure out, God, where is it that you want me to go? What is it that you want me to do? How is it that you want me to follow you? What part of ministry do you have in store for me? Am I even supposed to be in ministry? It was a defining moment for me. But it was a very difficult moment for me. And we would all say the same things, that the problems that you face in your life and the things that you experience and the things that you go through, if you, if you think about those moments and the difficulty of those moments, they changed you. And they defined who you are today. You see, Paul had come into town at Corinth, and Paul had preached the resurrected Jesus. He had preached about uh, how God had sent his only son to rescue and to redeem humanity, and, <clears throat> and how Jesus <clears throat> suffered and he died on a cross. And he did that to forgive those that were opposed to Jesus, those that didn't believe in Jesus, even his half-brother James who didn't believe until after Jesus was resurrected. And he preached this Jesus, and God did an amazing work in the city of Corinth, in the church that Paul planted there in the town. And the community was changed and lives were changed, but as they began to look around and they saw the sin and the selfishness, and as we saw in 1 Corinthians, the sexual immorality and they say all of these people that are living outside of Jesus, and it seems to be that they're flourishing. And then we look around in our world today, and we see most people not living for Jesus. As a matter of fact, Christianity has now become the minority. And we would say, well, how is it that their lives are flourishing in the midst of their sin. They began to ask the question, is this boring man named Paul the real deal, or is Christianity flashier than I'm really experiencing? Is the path that God intends for me to follow 
marked by simple daily obedience over a long period of time? So they're wrestling with this question, and Paul is trying to address this question, and yet, as I mentioned with my lawn care business, that I entrusted them to go off and work, and and Paul entrusted them to take the gospel, the, the thing that they were not responsible for, that they had nothing to do with, that they received as a free gift from God, that they were responsible for just nurturing that, for letting it bloom in their life just the same as you and me. And so the Corinthians, as they began to look around at those who had infiltrated the church, were known by their sinful lifestyles. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9? Paul said, these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he gives a list of people. Their dependence was upon social standing. And so as the church at Corinth was struggling to grasp the reality of what it meant to suffer and live for Jesus... It began, it began to be very difficult to draw a crowd, right? It's difficult to invite people to live a life that is different than the rest of the culture, to surrender their desires to those of Jesus. So on the one hand, as Paul is writing 2 Corinthians, he's trying to encourage those. He's trying to encourage us, those who are being persecuted, those who are experiencing difficulties. He's answering the question that is being raised in Corinth about his authenticity. You see, they're asking the church at Corinth about Paul. If Paul is for real, why is there so much suffering in his life? Paul's critics said that the sufferings in Paul's life were evidence that he was not an apostle. They believed that trouble evaded those who follow Christ. They ask questions like, why is Paul not popular like all the other preachers? Why does he seem so dull and boring? And so I find a little bit of irony in the beginning statement of Paul's letter here to the church at Corinth. And so we're going to pick up here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, page 1326. So let's pray as we look to God's Word. And ask God to give us understanding this morning. God, we we simply bow before your inerrant word. God, we acknowledge, God, that your scripture is inspired as your word teaches us by your Holy Spirit. And so this morning we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts. God, that you would help us to see and understand the things that you'd have in store for us. That you would move in our hearts maybe in a way today that you've never done before. That we would experience you. God, in a way that you desire for us to experience you all times. So, Lord, this morning, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. So the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are, all, who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is beginning here with a, with a couple of things. I mentioned the irony <clears throat> of, of what Paul is writing. He says that, hey, you're asking, you're questioning my apostleship. He says, Paul, an apostle, so right out of the gate, yes, I'm an apostle, by the will of God, he says. 
And then he says that the church is not Paul's. You see, they began to say, well, you know, well, Paul said that you should do this. Paul founded this church. Paul established or planted this church. And here's what Paul said we should do. But what if? And so they began to plant these seeds of doubt of saying, hey, you shouldn't have so much affliction. You shouldn't have so much trouble in your life. And so Paul, at the very beginning here, says, whoa, 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 time out, time out. This is not Paul's church we're talking about. This is God's church. And so he says, to the church of God, that is at Corinth, with all the saints. And so then he uh, continues in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, with which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, that we, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also will share in our comfort. Verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. And so Paul is addressing right out of the gate the very things that they are saying about him and the church at Corinth. You see, some of the Corinthian believers seem to be struggling within themselves. And so what Paul is saying is he's trying to address this issue of lordship for them. And he says that he wants the Corinthian believers to separate from their old way of living, not to embrace this infiltrated lifestyle that the society is pushing, and to embrace fully the ways of Jesus. You see, these naysayers have come in and they've distracted them from the things in which Jesus has called them to. And so these people, as they began to infiltrate the church, as we would say the same thing about culture today, as, as things began to infiltrate culture, what happens oftentimes, and this is very unfortunate but true, is that we don't do anything. And so what Paul is addressing here at the Corinthian church is that we would not just do nothing. You see, we see things in our culture all around that we would disagree with, that we would say that's against the Word of God, right? I mean, it doesn't take very long to look around and find many things that you would say that God is, God is not for that, that that is not what God intended to be. And yet what often happens for believers, unfortunately, is, is, is instead of declaring and standing for those things, we simply do nothing. And so Paul is calling to action the Corinthian church that they would comfort those, that they wouldn't just stand idly by and say, well, that's just what it is, but that's not what I believe. But that we would celebrate the things that are happening that God is doing, that we would press into those moments, as we'll talk about in a minute, and that we would be active in our faith. 
You see, he writes a letter to them between 1st and 2nd Corinthians that he refers to as the severe letter. He says, I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. And so Paul said, he wrote a letter to them. We don't have a copy of it, but he wrote a letter and said, hey, you need to straighten this up. Because this is not the gospel that I preached that we, that we founded the church at Corinth upon. You see, the most often response in our difficulties when we face troubles is to do nothing. To lock the doors, to close the windows, to hunker down, and to just wait for the storm to pass. <clears throat> but what we see is that when we choose not to do anything, we're actually choosing to do something. By ignoring the effects of our day-to-day -day decisions, and the fact that many of these decisions oftentimes are affected or influenced by the values of the culture, the Corinthian church began to little by little be led astray. So Paul addresses this at the very beginning. See, I think Paul and the Corinthian church are asking the same question. I think the world today as well is asking the same question. Why do believers experience trouble? Where is Jesus in the midst of this trouble? And so I want to share with you a couple of things that we see from Scripture this morning. The first thing that I want us to see is that God allows circumstances in our lives to reveal Himself. Remember, our most difficult moments can be our most defining moments. And the circumstances that we experience in our lives are oftentimes God's way of revealing himself to us. In verses 5 through 7, Paul talks about the afflictions that he suffered and, and the sufferings that he experienced. And these, these sufferings were a result or a consequence of his relationship to Jesus. Paul makes that very clear. He talks about these troubles or these pressures that he experienced. And he writes about those nine times in 11 verses. You see, in the midst of these difficulties that Paul was in, Paul was not looking for a way out. Paul was looking for a way in. And for us, oftentimes, as we choose sometimes to do nothing, maybe oftentimes to do nothing, we're, when we choose to do something, we try to find a way out of our problems. How can I not experience this anymore? How can I be outside of this? How can I move on from these issues? You see, the Corinthian church had people who came in and they began to question pursuing Jesus at the expense of personal sacrifice and difficulty. In other words, following Jesus shouldn't cost you anything. That's what the culture is saying. Following Jesus shouldn't be difficult. You see, what they were doing is they were redefining who Jesus is. We see that today, a continual effort to redefine who Jesus is or to seek the world's version of Jesus. You see, God doesn't keep bad things from happening in our lives, nor does He prevent good things from happening to those who choose not to follow Him. 
He's a good, good father. As we read in Psalm 103, we sing songs like that, that we are all his creation. As a matter of fact, Ephesians says that we're God's masterpiece. And so it's the father's pleasure, the scripture teaches us, to do good for us. But the human version of Jesus that people have created in their minds is that they would only follow Jesus when things are good. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, Paul says this, For this I write, this is why I write, that I might test you in order that you would know whether you are obedient to everything. He's saying that, that he would make known or in order that is what the original language says. And what he's saying here is he's dispelling the idea that troubles or afflictions or pain are somehow outside of the sovereign purposes of God. And so he's saying that the things that God allows to take place in our life are all part of God's sovereign plan. Or said another way, there's always design in the distress that we experience in our world. You see, what God was teaching us when we moved to Virginia is that He is sufficient. That He's sufficient, that He is all that we need. And when you don't have anyone else, and you don't know anyone else, and you don't have anything else, it's very clear to see that picture, right? That you find yourself in these moments. You see, the debate that often arises, and we're really not going to get into it today because I don't think it's a debate, but is does God cause things to happen, or does He allow things to happen? Very, very common question. I've been asked that question multiple times. Does God cause things to happen, or does He allow things to happen? Well, let me ask you a question. Is the result the same regardless of cause or allow? Something happened, and we want to rewind and say, well, wait a minute, time out. Let me approve of your actions, God. Did you cause that to happen, or did you allow that to happen? It still happened, right? And so what, what you have to dig in deeper on that question is, the real question, and that question is, do I actually believe in sovereignty, right? Do I believe that God is in control of allow and cause? Because the result is still the same. And so the circumstances that we experience, God is using those things to reveal himself. In Acts chapter 16, many of you just read this in D group. This is what the Bible says. It says they went through the region of Fergia Fergia and uh, Galatia. And it says that being forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now when they had come to uh, Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing through Mycenae, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. Now Luke is writing Acts, and so you see he goes to the personal here. He says, we, immediately we went into, or we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, why, why is this relevant? What, is it, what does this mean? So as Paul or Luke is writing about the uh, missionary journeys of Paul, he says, hey, uh, we were going to go into this area of Galatia. Now, you're familiar with Galatia, right? Galatians, right? 
having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And so the Holy Spirit is directing Paul and his team where they're going. And so because of this redirection to Macedonia, Paul ended up moving into Europe with the gospel. And what did he do in Europe? He planted the church at Philippi. He planted the church at Thessalonica. And he planted the church at Corinth. In Acts chapter 18, it says, after this, Paul left Athens, and look where he went, to Corinth, that God was directing his actions and the things that he went through. Now, if you read in Acts uh, 16 and Acts 17 and Berea and Thessalonica and and all the trouble that Paul faced and some of the people that were with him, a guy named Jason, uh, some people believe maybe even have been kin to Paul, experienced beatings and a lot of issues, but what was the end result of that? That the church that Paul is writing here to was planted in the midst of that. You see, time after time, Paul is beaten, he's run out of town, and he's ridiculed. He speaks of all sorts of troubles that he encounters, and yet, if Paul were to stand before us today, he would say that he's absolutely grateful and he would do every second of it again. And that you and I would be grateful for the reality of what Paul did because of the work that God accomplished in those moments. You see, Paul's defining moments were some of his most difficult moments in life. One of the, one of the paradoxes of Christianity is that the grace of God is most keenly experienced not in the best but in what seemed to be the worst of times. Right, that when you experience the grace of God, which, by the way, is getting what you don't deserve, when you experience, when we experience this grace, isn't it in the worst times of our lives? The, the times in which we don't feel like we can go on, the times where God uses someone or something in our life to remind us of who He is and what He is doing. God was teaching the Corinthian church here, God is teaching us that He is present in our difficulties. I I don't know why this message was on this day for this reason, but I would assume that there's someone here that God is trying to relate to, that He's telling you that in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of your circumstances, that He is revealing Himself to you if you will just look for Him in those moments. You see, Paul is telling them that they should shift their perspective from the external to the internal. Because it's in the internal, the most difficult times are revealed. You see, the most difficult times in our life reveal the deepest parts of God in our hearts. They reveal the deepest parts of God. Look, let let me say this. So many times, so many times, I would say, I would say over 90%, Matt's opinion, I would say over 90% of people who come to church exist on the surface of Christianity. That you exist on the surface of Christianity. You avoid at all cost, now this is, this is not everybody, but most people avoid at all cost anything that has to do with difficulty for the kingdom. If it costs you, you're out. That's where we see a lot of, and that's why we see a lot of falling away, so to speak, in, in churches today. That's why we see declining attendance today. Now, thank God we don't experience that here, but that's why you see that across the board in Christianity is because we like the light and fluffy. 
right? We don't want to talk about bad things. You know, a couple Wednesday nights ago, Pastor Tony talked about uh, death, and he said, you know, a lot of people are afraid to talk about that. We don't want to talk about those things. We don't want to talk about the fact that bad things can't happen to us. We don't want to discuss that. But I can tell you from my own experience that the very deepest parts of what I know about God happen in my most difficult pain. When moments where I didn't think I could move forward, when moments where I wrote off people that I didn't want to have anything to do with anyone, it was in those moments where God did the most work in my heart. Look, when you get to the bottom of the barrel, so to speak, when you don't have anywhere else to look but up, you look up. But if you always avoid getting to the bottom, you're never going to look up. It's the deepest parts of God. So what am I saying about swimming in the shallow end? I'm saying move to the deeper end. Move to the deeper end. What is God calling you to? Pursue hard things in your life. It is in those difficult circumstances that you actually meet God. I remember years ago I was preaching a message, and after the message was over with, this uh, lady came to me and she said, Preacher, I, I... Uh, thank you for the message today. She said, you put the cookies on the bottom shelf. And I thought, is that an insult or a compliment? Right? So what she was saying is, you make it easy to understand. It was simple. And the gospel is simple. It's very simple. But the deeper parts of God, the things that we come to know about God, are through experience. They're not through classroom knowledge. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4, this is what Paul said. Remember here earlier, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's a tongue twister, right? But here's what I want you to see in that. There is no comfort without affliction, Right? There's no comfort without affliction. How can you be comforted if you're not afflicted? Paul wanted his hearers to understand that the merciful Father is the author of all possible comfort and consolation, that there is no enduring comfort apart from Jesus Christ. Paul did not bolt from his circumstances. He didn't curse God for his circumstances, but he patiently endured those circumstances and found God energizing him in those circumstances. You see, comfort only comes to those who are afflicted. If you're not afflicted, you don't need comfort. You see, this is where the rubber meets the road. And the Corinthian worldview, I would say our worldview today, does not include suffering. But here, let me ask you this question. If, if God would allow Jesus, his only perfect son, to suffer, why do we believe that we would be immune to that? You see, a worldview centered on Jesus includes suffering. So how do we find God in those moments? If we say it's in those circumstances that God reveals himself, how do we find God in those moments? Well, I want to give you just a couple, this is not on your handout, but just a couple things. Number one is don't give up. In that moment that you find yourself to where you can't go on any longer, that's what Paul is saying here. Raise your hand, reach out, find someone that can comfort you. That's what the body of Christ is about. 
so that you would not give up in those moments. But that not only would you not give up, but that, and this is maybe very, very difficult, especially starting out, but that you would focus on God. Because here's the deal. I would guess that the majority of the troubles that we experience, certainly what Paul is experiencing here, is relational, right? I mean, especially in the South. But relational, right? That you have problems, somebody did something to you, you did something to somebody, some situation, something happened to someone that you love, that it's relational, these situations that happen. And what most often happens in those circumstances of difficulty for us, we focus on people instead of on God. And so what I'm telling you not to give up, how do you not do that? That you focus on who God is and not on the person or the circumstance that people are involved in. So oftentimes we want to blame God for people's actions. Or we want to expect from people what we can only receive from God. Let me say that again because I'm telling you that I've done this, okay? That so oftentimes we want to blame God for people's actions or we want to expect from people what we can only receive from God. And so in our own lives what we have to say is, no, who is God in this moment? Focus on God. How do you focus on God? So don't give up. Focus on God, not people. How do you focus on God, not people? You serve. You serve. Because when you're serving, you know what you're not thinking about? Your problems. Your focus is external. It's not internal. So you began to focus on the things outside of you and not in your own situations. And these things that God reveals himself in these circumstances, number Two, we see that it is in these circumstances where our dependence is exposed. It is in these circumstances. You know, Paul didn't say when he writes 2 Corinthians here, he didn't call out the names of those who were calling him out. He didn't respond with carnal responses. That's our tendency, right, when relationally when we have issues is we want to address the person. Paul didn't address the person. Paul addressed the issue. And so in the midst of this circumstance, in the midst of this difficulty, what Paul is doing is he is he's exposing who he depends upon. You see, in those moments, tension is present, right? When you have difficulties, when you have troubles, when you have problems, financial problems, relational problems, spiritual problems, there's a lot of tension in those moments. And a lot of people don't do well with pressure. They don't do well with pressure. And so in those moments, don't shy away from the tension. Don't shy away from the tension that's present. Several years ago, I had a disagreement with someone. It was quite the disagreement. And we, uh, we were at odds. And, you know, there was an offense that took place, and I was very offended by it, and it bothered me. And uh, so we, we couldn't come to resolution. And we had this disagreement, and so when I would be around them, the tension was very high. You, you, you ever been in that situation where the tension, you can cut it with a knife, right? And so the tension was very high. Now, here's what our tendency is in those moments, to avoid those people, right? Stay away from them. Relational problems, financial problems, just don't look at your bank statement, right? Just avoid it. Or, you know, uh, issues that you may have spiritual, right? Here's what happens a lot of times. People get convicted. And then they, they say, well, if I just don't go to church, then I'm not going to be exposed to that. That's what people believe. And so, so what we do, we run from tension 
But what I'm suggesting to you is that Paul pressed into it because his dependence was not on himself and his dependence was not on their response. His dependence was on Jesus. And so in that tension, what do you, you have to press in. And so the tension when I was around that person was very, very high. And I had, to, I had to guard my words. I had to be very careful what I said and how I said it. But you know what that tension did? It had to be resolved. Because we couldn't continue to coexist and not resolve that tension. And so that tension and being in the midst of that tension and having to stay in, and, and choosing to stay in it led to reconciliation and forgiveness on both sides. You see how that works? That when the tension rises, that we often stray. But if you stay in the middle of that tension, what you're doing is you're saying, you know what, my dependence is not on me to resolve this situation. My dependence is on God to resolve this situation. You see, if I had avoided that person in that situation, I may never had experienced reconciliation with that person. Nor would I have grown in my ability to forgive and be forgiven. That's a moment in my life that I look back and I define that as God growing me in forgiveness. I learned how to better forgive people who offended me. I learned how to do that. Now, if you would have asked me before, hey, here's what's about to go down. Someone's about to offend you. And you're going to learn how to forgive them in the midst of this. I would say, what's behind curtain number two, right? right? I'll take option B. That's what we do is we move away from tension. We don't want to be in tension. But what I'm suggesting to you is press into that. That's what Paul is doing. Oh, there's problems with someone in the church questioning my apostleship. Oh, they're questioning the fact that believers don't suffer. Oh, well, let me write you a letter and explain to you exactly how that works. Oh, the first letter didn't work? Okay, well, guess what? I'll send Timothy there. Oh, well, you're not responding to Timothy? All right, here we go. Second Corinthians, here, I'm going to write another letter. And so he's saying, look, I'm not going to shy away from this. I'm not going to ride off in the sunset. I'm going to press into this tension to explore what God is doing in these moments and find God in the midst of the tension. You see, tension is often the catalyst for all great change in our lives. It's the catalyst for change. You mean to give you a public speaking tip? When you have to stand in front of someone and your nerves, your, your heart is beating out of your chest, cough. It helps a lot. It resolves your, uh, your, the pressure in your uh, throat and your heart to speak. You see, tension is good. And when that tension comes through, God can use that. A lot of you are coughing now because you're nervous, right? It's the catalyst for great change. When you have that tension, when you experience, these are the moments. Think about this. I, I want you to zero in here. These are the moments in which God does the greatest things in our lives. See, I don't shy away from tension. I'm not afraid of confrontation or tension. Or, and, you know, sometimes that's hurt me, but most of the time it helps me. Right? And so I, I don't shy away from that. And it's in these moments that God does phenomenal things in our lives. The moments that are the most tense are the moments right before a breakthrough. They're the moments right before a breakthrough. Think about when you got saved, the tension of that moment, right? You were on the cusp of eternity. You know, preachers joke about the white knuckles as you grip the, grip the pews or your, your palms are sweating or, you know, whatever may happen. I remember the day that I got saved, February the 4th of 1998. I remember that internal battle in my heart and my flesh was saying, hey, we're good. And my spirit was saying, hey, we're not good. And God was drawing me to himself. There was great tension in that moment. 
And it was right before I stepped into eternity. Great things happen with tension. Maybe right before you speak with someone, maybe you, you're, you're going to have this confrontation or you're going to have this conversation and you hope to resolve a situation and the tension is very high before you have that conversation. And then guess what? When you have, when you press in, when you have that conversation, there's resolution and great things happen. When you have to wrestle with what you believe to be true, it is in those truths that are forever cemented in your heart. You see, when we moved to Virginia, I had to decide in that moment, is God enough? And the answer is yes. And when he becomes enough in your life, he will always be enough in your life. Because you've experienced him that way. There's no great story without strife. You have to press into the tension. And you have to say, God, in this circumstance... We, you know, we don't have the time today, but it's fascinating that you read the very beginning here. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the will of God, to the church that's in Corinth with all the saints who are in grace to you, Paul says. And then look at the very end. Look at the last, last of 2 Corinthians. Grace to you, he says at the beginning. Look at the final verse, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. You see the change? That Paul's saying, hey, grace is coming to you. Now that he's had the conversation with them, they pressed into the tension. There's resolution. Now he says grace is going to be with you. And so in the midst of these circumstances, we see that God uses tension, that God used tension in the life of Paul to resolve the problems. And so we see lastly here is that it is through, it's not just in these circumstances that God is revealed. It's not just in these circumstances that our dependence is exposed, but lastly it is through, so on the other side of, it is through these circumstances that our story is written. It is through these circumstances that our story is written. Here's how C.S. Lewis writes it. Fascinating. This is what he says. Nothing that has not died will be resurrected. Nothing, think about that. Nothing that has not died will be resurrected. There has to be death for resurrection. And so through these circumstances, our story is written. So what does that mean? Well, for some people, that means that you need to die to self. Jesus said, if any man wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so for many of us, what we, what we have to do is we have to put aside what I want to end the situation. I have to put aside what I want the resolution to be, and I have to depend upon Jesus' resolution and what God wants to do in the circumstance. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying, look, it's not about me. Paul would say to us, look, it's not about you. Put aside your desired outcomes and your self-reliance and surrender to God. You see, for us who have children, we raise our children to be less dependent upon ourselves 
We want them to be independent, right? To grow up and to be more independent, right? It'd be weird if you're brushing your 18-year-old's teeth. That's just strange, right? We want them to do it yourself, right? You can feed yourself. You can take care of yourself. You're, you're old enough to, to, and so we raise them to progressively be more independent. But God is the opposite. He raises us as his children to become less independent and more and more dependent upon him. So Paul is saying here that this affliction that the Corinthians are experiencing is to make them rely on Jesus. So I know that at this moment you'd say, but you don't know my situation. Or I'm not forgiving them. Or I can't make it through. You don't understand. Right? We would all say that. We've all been there. That we would all say, well, you just don't understand. You just don't know. You just don't know. You just don't know. And you're right. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how difficult it is. I'm not making light of, of problems. I'm not making light of troubles. Troubles completely derail people's lives sometimes. I'm not making light of that. You may say, I, I can't move forward. I, I can't continue to live like this. I can't forgive that person. Fill in the blank. I can't forgive that person, whatever it may be. You just don't know my circumstance. I can't. To which I would say to you, you're exactly where you need to be. Because you're right, you can't. I can't, you can't, we can't. That's the recipe for success. You see, for us, weakness is our source of strength. And suffering is the vehicle that God uses for His power and glory to be present. I've always been told if it can be explained by man, it was probably done by man. So if you find yourself in the moment to which you say, there's no way out, that is exactly where God works the most. That you would press into that tension. That you would, you would uh, embrace the reality that there is no way out. That there's no resolution to this. That there's no way that this can be fixed. There's no way this can be changed. That people were looking at the Corinthian church and saying there's no way they're going to survive. They're being overrun by the culture. They're being changed in their theology by the lack of suffering. And, they're say, and Paul is saying, no, no, no. When you get in the middle of that situation, when your circumstance feels like there's no way out, that is where your dependence is exposed. And that is where God does the most work. This theology of weakness and suffering was foolish to the people at Corinth. They believed in self-made wealth and power. But the gospel does not ride on health and wealth, but the gospel rides on weakness. Paul says, do not be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experience in Asia, verse 8, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt as though we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So in the midst of our messed up lives, God wants us to learn to rely on Him more than we rely on ourselves. See, oftentimes in our life we depend on ourselves, and when we do, sometimes God grants us what we want. And when we get what we want, we don't have the joy and peace that comes from only what God wants. And so we must learn to depend upon what God wants in those situations. So as we explore 2 Corinthians, we explore the sufficiency of who 
God is, I want to encourage you this morning to press into those moments of tension, those circumstances in which you find yourself seeing no way out, that you would say, okay, God, I don't see a way out. And so here's what I'm doing. I'm giving this to you. I'm displaying my dependence upon you. You see, Paul wanted the church at Corinth to be fully centered on Jesus. And so as we look at this dependence, I want to remind you again that the thesis of our day is that those defining moments of your life, they come from the most difficult times that you experience. And so whatever, when you find yourself in those moments, that we would focus on, God, what is it that you're showing me? God, how is it that you want me to see these moments? You see, in difficult moments, I can rewind in my life and see there were moments to where, and I've shared this before, that I was very injured by the church. And if you, if you know me, you know that when I came to this church, that I sat in the very back, on the last pew in the middle. And it was 2013. And I had been damaged And I began to ask the question, God, what is it that you intend for me to do? God, what does that look like for Matt? I thought you called me to ministry. And here I am sitting on the back pew of a church in a town that I wasn't raised in. And so as I sat on the back pew, I sat for three years. For three years. And I asked the question, oh, God, what is it that you have for me? God, was it that you're showing me in these moments? And God spoke to my heart in those moments. God used many of you in those moments to speak to me, to encourage me, to drag me out of the pit. Because the devil did everything that he could do to derail me. The devil did everything that he could do to move me off course And there were moments in my life to where I said, I will never do ministry again. Now, I'm being very transparent with you. But there was God moments. And the one thing that I constantly had to remind myself of was that I can't allow people to define who God is. That I can't let those moments define God. You see, it had been very easy for me to look around. And what I had to do is I had to say, you know what? It wasn't the church that hurt me. It was people. It was people. And I had to say, it wasn't God who did that. And you know, as God pulled me out of that and as God ministered to me and as God used many of you and, and certainly this church to do that, you know what I've now been able to do? I've been able to say that same thing to multiple people. That I've had these conversations more than I'd wish to admit. That I would say, don't let the moment define God. That's not who God is. And then I can share my story of how God pulled me out of those circumstances. Thank God that He put people around me to comfort me when I was afflicted. Thank God that he kept my eyes on him. Notice I said he kept my eyes on him, right? That he kept me focused on who he is. So look, I've been, I've been in the valley. I've been in the valley. 
And God had people in the valley to bring me out. And I want to tell you this morning, if you're in the valley, that God's got people in the valley. And that God will bring you out of the valley. But you have to depend on Him. Don't shy away from it. Press in. God, as we bow before you this morning, God, it is so good to be, God, to be reminded.